we've got Dr. D. Dr. DG. <laughs> Dr. Deb Gorton. I don't know if you know this, but one out of every five Americans experiences mental illness. So every single one of us knows someone right now who's suffering with anxiety or depression or some other form of mental struggle. And Dr. Deb Gordon is joining us this morning. She's a clinical psychologist. She's a professor at Moody Bible Institute. She has her own podcast. It's called Becoming Well. You need to check that out. And she's also written a book called Embracing Uncomfortable. So Deb, what are the practices to maintaining good mental health, good mental well-being? Yeah. You know, I love, I love how God created us to be so holistic. And I think uh, a lot of times we sort of separate out the different parts of ourselves. We consider ourselves to be physical beings and spiritual beings and relational beings and, you know, even psychological beings. And we sort of focus on each of those things separately. Mm. And I really think the the foundational practice to healthy mental well-being is to first and foremost say, I'm a whole being. My mental health is affected by my physical health, which is affected by my spiritual health, which is affected by my relational health. And so recognizing that each one of those areas really doesn't function as a separate entity. It's all part of, you know, how our well-oiled body as a machine can thrive. And so that's number one, like to really do an assessment and to say, in all of these areas of my life, where am I maybe flourishing, doing okay? Where am I struggling? And how does that, you know, impact other parts of the system? And then I think another key thing, my students, you know, they're, they're very aware that I say this frequently. In fact, when I start to say it, they're like, oh, we know, Dr. Gordon, you're going to say this. But <laughs> I really think we have to consider how our decisions both add to the quality of our life, mm. but also take away from it. You know, I think as a, as a Western culture, we're very much focused on accomplishment and drive and, you know, kind of pulling ourselves up from our bootstraps. But we don't really take the time to consider the losses involved in our decisions. And every decision we make involves both a gain and a loss. And so, you know, when we don't consider the losses, they sort of happen automatically. So if I say yes to something, you know, whether it's at work or whether it's a community commitment or volunteering in my church, have I considered the reality that I'm saying no to something? Mm -hmm. So, and, and I think oftentimes it's something that affects our mental health and well-being. Like, okay, I said yes to this and now my time is kind of stretched thin. So I actually am devoting less time to sleep or less time to meditating on God's word and spending time with the Lord or less time with my community of friends or my family, all of those things that really enhance our mental health and well-being. Mm. So two, I think, really critical foundational practices. Consider that you are a whole being, that one part will always affect the other. And two, in your decisions, your day-to-day -day decisions, what are the losses in addition to the gains? Gold. Pure gold. <laughs> Mic drop. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm just feeling personally convicted in knowing that I had a good friend about 10 years ago call me out on how I, re how I react to everything and just said, you know, I just would challenge you to just every time somebody asks you to do something for them or gives you an opportunity or when things arise to just say, thank you so much for considering me. I'd love to have to just 24 hours to think about that and get back to you with a really thoughtful Ooh. answer, you know, and I was like, oh, 
call me out on my stuff. Yes, <laughs> but it was I really good. I love that though. I love that. And you know, to be totally honest, every time I have these conversations and these interviews, the whole time I'm like, Deb, are you listening to what you're saying? <laughs> right, right. So what do we do when we're suffering emotional and mental pain? Like we know when it's physical, we kind of have a roadmap for that. But what does it look like when it's when it's not as uh, physically evident, when it's emotional or it's mental? Yeah, I would say first, give yourself permission to actually feel that without dismissing it or shoving it under the rug or maybe even minimizing like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Emotional pain is as significant as mm. physical pain and in all honesty can cause physical problems. I mean, the amount of research on stress and the impact of stress on our physical well-being is just massive. I mean, stress can lead to autoimmune disorders, heart disease, cancers, diabetes, like so many things that are physical to our body. So give yourself permission to really validate the significance of your emotional and mental pain. I think that's really important too. You know, I was just meeting with uh, my students yesterday who are on internships. So they're seeing clients right now for the first time. They're mm -hmm. anxious. You know, they want to do well. And, and they were kind of surprised by my question when we did our check-in. I said, what is your body telling you right now that you might be ignoring? And it was like one of those, you know, crickets in, in the <laughs> audience because nobody was expecting that question. But it was amazing the responses I got once they really started to think about it. You know, they were saying, oh, my body's telling me that I need sleep because I'm having a really hard time concentrating in my counseling session. Or my body's telling me I need to move because I've just noticed that I'm feeling more anxious and kind of agitated when I'm sitting with a client. Or my body's telling me I need to rest because I've really felt kind of this overwhelming experience of discouragement and hopelessness. So going back to this idea of our holistic being, our, our physical body can really communicate a lot to us about our emotion, our emotional and mental health and well-being. So be aware of, of what your body is telling you. And then I think this last one can be difficult, but you know, I always think of the story of Ruth and Naomi returning home to Moab and how, you know, Naomi, all of her, all of her community comes running out to her when she returns. And they're like, Naomi, Naomi, we're so glad to see you. And she's like, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, because God has dealt with me so bitterly. And what I see in that is the beautiful design of God's community to care for us in our anguish and our grief because Naomi was honest, right? She was like, I am a bitter woman. God has taken away my livelihood. My husband has died. My sons have died. And in biblical times, men were, you know, men were very much like the protectors of women. We were very vulnerable without, you know, without that safeguard. And I just get this picture of Naomi's community saying, okay, Mara, we'll, we'll take care of you. We'll meet you where you're at. So, you know, find those people in your circle that will meet you where you're at, will say, yeah, this is really painful what you're going through. Or I can only imagine how difficult it is to be feeling depressed right now. How can I come alongside you in this moment? Your response to that might be, I don't have someone like that. Yeah, that's really true. And I hear that a lot, you know, and, and so I would say, 
pause and consider, maybe go back and reevaluate and, and see if maybe there is that one person um, that you're not quite sure, but, but is a, is a calculated or a safe risk. Like I can share a little bit and I think they might be able to respond or even be willing to ask for what you need. I think a lot of times we, we share, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing well emotionally, but we don't realize we can ask for what we need in that. What I need from you is just to listen. I don't need you to problem solve or offer suggestions. I just need you to listen to me. But then you're right. There are some people who legitimately like they, they really consider, the people in their lives or the lack of people in their lives. And they say, I don't, I don't have that person. And that's where I would say among other things, but that, that might be a good place to reach out to a counselor. A lot of times churches will keep a referral list of qualified counselors that are either part of their community or that they're, you know, aware of within the boundaries of their cities that they serve in. There's resources like Psychology Today that has a huge online directory of qualified therapists, and you can actually search by category. So you can put in Christian counselor and, and find somebody that way. And I think this is where technology perhaps serves us in, in a healthy capacity. Now there's a lot of groups and you know, and different online resources that have developed to serve people who are going through a lot of things like tons of Facebook groups that exist for people going through grief and loss, infertility, addiction, suicidality. And I think there's something impactful when you hear others' stories who have gone through something mm -hmm. that you're either going through or went through. It, it can be very validating as well. Deb, to your point about asking for what we need makes me think about my son, Taylor, when He'll come to me and want to share something, you know, that he's wrestling through. He'll say, okay, dad, don't put on your dad hat this time. Put on your friend hat. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, this is a little uh, embarrassing to admit. I get somewhat of a similar response from the people in my life. They'll say, Deb, don't put on your psychology hat. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be talking all week this week about our wellness, spiritually, physically, emotionally. It's going to be a fantastic week. And today we have the privilege of speaking with Dr. Deb Gordon. She is a clinical psychologist and she's a professor at Moody Bible Institute. She has a podcast. It's called the Becoming Well Podcast. And she is the author of Embracing Uncomfortable. And Deb, I'm not a psychologist myself. I don't have the skills that you have to help others who are struggling emotionally or mentally. So how can I, or others like me, help someone who's struggling with their mental health? I teach a class called Counseling Techniques. And you know, every year I get these young, excited newbie students who are ready to come alongside people in their transformation process. And without fail, they believe that the number one priority of this class is to learn how to help people solve their problems. And when they come into class, the first day I say, okay, any of you that are sitting here thinking that the number one goal of this class is to learn how to solve problems, you need to wipe that from your mind. Mm -hmm. And they all look at me like, that's what this is all about. And I'm like, no, no, what we're going to do over the next eight, 16 weeks, depending on how long the class is, is you're going to learn how to listen mm -hmm. and really sit with people and be present. And, you know, I think that is something so powerful that we see even Jesus modeled. You know, I think about how he went to the woman at the well. He sat with her and he, he knew her before he ever spoke into her life. And, you know, it's hard, it's hard to sit with people in their suffering because none of us like to suffer. We want to alleviate suffering. It's sort of a natural desire of our human condition. And yet, you know, I think we can all 
think of a time when somebody in our deepest pain just was present with us and listened and mm-hmm. said things like, wow, that, that really has to hurt. That has to feel so overwhelming. I can imagine in this season of life, you feel really isolated and alone. And just to be seen and heard has a tremendous impact on somebody's overall em- emotional and mental well-being. This is something I'm learning <laughs> probably pretty late in life is that, you know, not to be a fixer, but to listen to people, not to be a problem solver right out the gate, but just to listen to people and just validate what they're going through. It's, it's just, it's so important. Yeah, that is so powerful to just say the words back, like, man, I can tell this is really hard or this must be really difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, I haven't been in your shoes but I can see how hard this is. You know, I mean, there's just power in that and coming alongside. It's almost as if I see, you know, when we're trying to fix someone, it's like you're sitting across the table from them telling them what they ought to do. And when you recognize what they're going through, it's like you get up from the other side of the table and you come over and you just sit down beside them. And now they're not, you know, you're not opposite them in the experience. They've got somebody in it with them and that could just make all the difference. Yeah. I believe it. Hey, if you'd like to hear more about Dr. Deb Gordon, you know, and just get more resources from her, debgorton.com is her website, debgorton.com. She's got a great book. I don't know. It's fairly new. It's called Embracing Uncomfortable, debgorton.com. Dr. Deb Gorton is joining us today. She is just absolutely one of our favorites. She's a clinical psychologist. She's a professor at Moody Bible Institute, and she has a podcast. You need to check this out. It's called Becoming Well Podcast. She's also the author of Embracing Uncomfortable. And we're having this conversation today about wellness, mental wellness, because I don't know if you know this about one out of every five adults, American adults, um, struggles with mental illness. I personally, because I've interacted with people and even people in my family who've suffered mental illness, I believe mental illness is the worst possible thing that can happen to a person on this planet. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe that's an overstatement, but I've just seen mm-hmm. how horrible it is and how incurable it is in some cases. Uh, it's not hopeless, but I've just tasted it and seen yeah. it. And so how do we help those who are suffering? Yeah, I love this question. It's as simple and as complex as you show up, you show up. And, you know, I think a lot of times we're afraid to, to, to ask or to step into those areas because we don't want to embarrass people or we don't want to overwhelm people or we're really not sure. Sometimes people think, oh gosh, if I ask and they aren't, you know, especially when it comes to like suicidal thoughts and, and, and plans and intents, you know, there's a fear that if I ask somebody if they're thinking of taking their life and they aren't, I've planted a seed. Mm-hmm. And there's really nothing that proves that to be true. Mm-hmm. Nothing in the research, nothing in, you know, any of, of the organizations that really study, you know, the, the motivation and the, and the drive of suicidal behavior. So I want people to hear that, like ask the question, you know, how are you doing and how can I come alongside you right now? And then listen, really listen. Don't, don't jump into problem solving mode because a lot of times people who are really suffering, they've tried everything. And it, and it just becomes frustrating for them when somebody says, well, you know, what about this? Or have you tried this? And they, and they feel like, yeah, I've tried this. Like, I'm not, I'm not crazy. I'm really doing everything that I can. 
And if they say, I don't know how you can help me, I, I have a story that I just love. My good friend, uh, we had another friend who was going through a really painful season of anxiety and depression. And this was out of the blue for this friend. They had never experienced this before in their life. And and so again, kind of this unfamiliar territory, they didn't know what they needed and they mm-hmm. didn't know how to address it. And so me and my best friend said, what can I do for you? And this friend said, I, I don't really know. And so every day, my friend showed up at her house with a banana and a bottle of water and said, we're going for a walk every morning. That's it. And there was no expectation of what they were going to talk about or uh, what was going to be addressed. It was just, I'm here. We're going for a walk. So I think just show up, just continue to show up. You know, I think so often too, with the showing up, we feel like, and this is a little bit on us, our selfish nature maybe, and, and our desire to want to see things get better. You know, that we think if I show up, I want things to be better when I walk away. And, yes. And I think we need to release the outcomes to the father too and just say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to show up. I'm going to be there without an expectation on them or on God or on myself that somehow it's just, you know, magically going to be better because I did. Oh, that's such a great point. You're so right. And I love that. Yeah. Releasing it to the Father. Maybe in the process of showing up, you're praying the whole way there and the whole way home. God, it is so hard to see this person suffering, but I release it to you and trust that you are a good and sovereign God who is caring for this person. Dr. Deb Gorton, debgorton.com. And this is really hard to do when you want someone to get better, to just be there and not try to fix the problem. It's really hard to do. And I have someone I've been walking with for years, and it's still hard. I was I was with him yesterday, and it's it's hard not to want to see him get better. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I think that you know recognizing that being alongside them in the ministry of presence is actually the best give that you can give to mm-hmm. the person who's struggling. Mm-hmm. You know, helps me because you know, I do want it to be better because I was somehow involved. Like I want to bring some relief to you. I want to help you in some way. I want to help carry this burden. So if I can mentally shift my thoughts from I need to say or do something to fix it to just realizing that showing up and being present with you in the moment is the best help I can offer. And it takes a lot of pressure off when you really start to, you know, learn this. They just show up, just show up, just listen, just be present, just you know, that person doesn't even have to talk about what they're struggling with, or maybe if they want to, they can talk about it. But I think that's great advice. Someone in your life who's really, really hurting today, maybe what you need today to, to do is just show up. One of out of about every five Americans experiences mental illness. So every single one of us knows someone right now who's suffering either with anxiety or depression or in some other form of a mental struggle. Empower us to be good coaches for others, to coach others to have good mental health practices. We want to coach people up. I love this. I love this. And and I think it's embedded in the question. We want to coach people up. We have to model this. Mm-hmm. And in our world today, that is so hard because it's really countercultural. You know, I notice I, I tend to say yes to a lot of things. I love mm-hmm. what I do for a living. I love getting to have this conversation. And I have clients who will reach out to me because they've heard me on the radio or on my podcast and want to get in for a session. And and it's so hard to say no. 
Mm-hmm. And yet I notice when I overcommit myself, I see the same thing happen in my team. And all of a sudden, the burnout that I experience starts to trickle down to mm-hmm. my team and they're becoming overwhelmed and they're becoming burnt out and they're becoming, you know, discouraged and frustrated and anxious and depressed. And it's the age old example of when you get on an airplane and, you know, they tell you if we ever lose cabin pressure and the oxygen masks drop down from the ceiling, you have to put your own mask on first before you can help anyone else. So I do think we have to model this and we have to model this by, we we have a saying in our, in our program that one of our core priorities is self-stewardship. And I can't take credit for that statement. I can't remember who, who, who told me about it, but it was kind of taking this buzzword of self-care and actually seeing it as a spiritual discipline. Like when we hear the word stewardship, we see it as a commandment of God as part of our faith practices. Mm. And so self-stewardship is a requirement. And I, and I believe that means we, we create margin. We create margin for rest we turn off our emails and our notifications and our text messages and our social media apps. And we spend time with the father. We spend time with our families and our community. We allow ourselves to be poured into and we recognize, yeah, these decisions are going to involve a loss. I I took the last two weeks before I started school off and I put an out of office email on that said, I'm off the grid Mm -hmm. and I'm not checking emails. And I deleted all my email apps. You know, the beauty of cloud-based emails is that you can delete them off your phone and they're not going anywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. And, you know, I came home to some frustrated individuals who had wanted to talk to me about different things. And, and I feel for them, like, I I don't, you know, dismiss that frustration. And yet I know if I was checking my emails during my break and communicating with work, they probably would have gotten some responses for me that didn't reflect a healthy attitude, Mm -hmm. a Christian character, you know, I needed that space. So I think we, we really model it for others. And we recognize that, you know, God is always caring for us. Like when we when we feel like we have to take on the world and do it all, we're really functioning out of a spirit of fear. Mm-hmm. And and so when we can when we can model that for others, um, I think it's really important. And I and again, going back to this holistic um, practice, we, we model it in rest, we model it in healthy eating habits, we model it in investing in relationships, you know, really, truly caring for the people around us, not just saying, hey, how are you doing? And pausing for a second and continuing to walk the other way. Like, no, stop, meet people where they're at. How are you really doing? And listen well. And then I think just kind of as a last one, before the show started, we were talking about just the stigma of mental health. And I think we can share our stories you know, I've gone to counseling multiple times. It's been one of the best things I could do for myself in times of struggle. So empowering others with our stories, but also being willing to help people find counselors. You know, I've told friends before, hey, if you don't, you don't have somebody, let me help you find the right person. And if it's scary to, to go to that first counseling session, I'm willing to go with you and I'll hang out in the waiting room while you, while you meet with that person. Um, I think just really encouraging people and being willing to walk alongside them in that journey into, you know, kind of clinical mental health care can also be a really great way to coach people in their mental health practices. That's really good. You know, we started this conversation about modeling it, right? Not just not just saying what you ought to do, but we too need to be, you know, need to be willing to step in where where help is needed 
I see a Christian counselor regularly. And every time I decide, you know what, I probably don't need to meet maybe as regularly. I think, why would I stop doing this? Yes, I love it. I love when I hear pastors preach a sermon around mental health from the pulpit and they're willing to share their experiences. I met with a pastor yesterday and he said he did a whole mental health series and he started it off by saying, my wife and I were on the verge of divorce until we went to a marital counselor and it transformed our lives. And I just think about all the people listening to that sermon who may have been hesitant to actually seek a counselor for the problems that they're navigating, who may now say, you know what? I'm gonna go to counseling. If my pastor did it, then I can do it too. Right, right. One out of every five Americans is experiencing a mental illness of some kind. And every one of us knows someone right now who's suffering and struggling either with depression or anxiety or in some other form of a mental struggle. My daughter has lost two pretty close friends to suicide within the last year. And I just heard about the the most recent one a couple of days ago. And so she's a, you know, she's a robust, healthy uh, follower of Jesus. She's done the work in her own life, but I know this is going to hit her hard and it hits our family hard because, you know, we knew both of these people and they were dear people to us. And, you know, somebody's listening right now and they've lost somebody even closer than just a friend. Um, how can we be encouraged? Mm, that's, that is really, really difficult. And that's something, you know, close in my life too. My, my mom tragically took her life many years ago. And oh, it, it, it's hard because no matter what, people tend to question and say, is there something that I could have done? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the one thing you don't want to say is don't, don't think that because people are thinking that, right? It's, it's not true. Let me clarify that. When somebody gets to that point of desperation, they, and I don't even proposed to, to know the mindset of somebody who's struggling, but I have worked with enough clients who are, who are at the throes of depression that I see it. It's their brain takes over. It's not because other people don't love them and care for them and aren't present for them. So instead of telling somebody, you know, don't think that because you can't just change that thought, just validate the pain of that. Like, Oh my gosh, I cannot imagine how painful it would be to see somebody that you love and care for make this decision. And yet we can't, I I have no idea what that person was going through, but I have seen you time and time and again, show up as an amazing friend, as an amazing, you know, sibling or child or parent. So just validating the role that they did have in that person's life without trying to contradict whatever they're struggling with internally. And gosh, the reality is this is, this is a, this is another pandemic. I mean, we're just seeing skyrocketing rates of suicide among all age groups. And, you know, I think it just really demonstrates how important it is for us to, to show up and just say, I'm here, I'm here time and time again. But just, just being a presence, just validating that person's pain is, is really important. Dr. Deb Gorton, she's one of our favorites. She's the author of Embracing Uncomfortable. We've had conversations with her before all about her book. But she's also a clinical psychologist, and she's a Moody Bible Institute professor. She has her own podcast called Becoming Well. One of out of every five Americans experiences mental illness. So you and me, every one of us has someone in our circle of influence, someone in our world right now who's suffering with some kind of mental struggle. The person whose emotional pain 
um, maybe mental wellness is not so well and it's evident and they are not seeking help themselves. What can we do? Mm, Yeah. Yeah. That's so hard. Um, I think that's probably one of the hardest parts of my job in all honesty as a counselor is when you see people who are suffering and, you know, I, I have been in this field for close to 15 years now. So I've worked with hundreds of different clients and while each person's story and example is unique and experience is unique. I, I do have insights to offer from time to time. And when they're really struggling, when that when that wall is up so high because of, you know, traumas and and losses and pains and it continues to perpetuate the suffering, that's so hard. And yet at the end of the day, we do have to reconcile with the truth that that God gave us choice. And so there are times where I have to say, you know, this person has a choice to, to step in and address this issue or to not. And so I've had conversations uh, with others who, who have really struggled with taking care of their mental health and well-being. And I've had conversations with people that are trying to come alongside somebody who's really struggling with their mental health and well-being. And I think at the end of the day, we say, I'm here. I am here. Um, when you are ready please know that my door is open, my phone is on, my, you know, my DMs are available, whatever it is. But I recognize that that you're not in that place right now. Uh, but when you're ready, if and when you're ready, I'm here. And we just, you know, we continue to pray. And this is where I'm so grateful for the interventions of the Holy Spirit and, you know, for God's sovereignty, because his word says, you know, sometimes we're called to plant a seed. Sometimes we're called to water. Sometimes we're called to till the ground. And it's hard when we don't see the fruits of that labor, you know, take root and flourish, but God is faithful. And if it's not you, I I trust that he will bring the right person at the right time to maybe water the seed that you've planted or to plant a seed in the ground that, that you've cultivated, that's ready for, you know, receiving, receiving that root. It really does come down to the ministry of presence, doesn't it? It really does. 